Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Hey, sports fans, Coach Nick here, and welcome to the B Ball Breakdown Podcast. Today, I am pleased to bring on the show best friend of the breakdown, Mark Skelton, who is head coach at Fannie Lou Hamer in the Bronx and also the author of a terrific new book called Pounding the Rock, which I had the pleasure of reading. Uh, actually, a mixed reading, both digital and in the hard copy version. It was uh, kind of fun to have the actual book in my hand. So, Mark, thank you for coming on the show and being part of the conversation. Um, excited to be here. Well, terrific. Well, let's let's get right into the book because, uh, it, you know, it's rare when you have a, a basketball coach who is an intellectual as well. And I would I, you know, I don't, I'm not blowing smoke uh, when I say that, you know, your the prose and the, your writing style, you know, is, is in line with the kind of things you might read from like David Halberstam. Uh, or a really, you know, well, uh, smart, well-written book in a way that it's rare. And I'm kind of curious if you can give me some of your, your insight into your background of what makes you such a good writer and a good basketball coach. Well, I think I've been thinking about writing for a long time. And I think at some point I was maybe, uh, I always thought I was a writer, but I had never written anything. Huh. So I, I had all these ideas pent up. And so, you know, um, and it's probably seem like a lot of people sitting home think, thinking they can coach and, um, and, <laughs> and uh, they have to actually coach and you actually have to put something on paper to become a writer um, and, own a, and, and run a team to become a coach. So, you know, and what's happening with writing, it's, um, you know, I did a little bit, you know, just these basketball blogs and then I really liked it. And I really liked writing about the game from different angles. Okay. And so tell me about mm-hmm. your background as far as, okay, so you're also a teacher at Fannie Lou Hamer. Is that correct? I teach history. Uh, I've been here since 2003. Um, so, you know, teaching high school history, I've, I've taught everything from American history to Russian history. Um, so it, it allows me to pursue um, some personal interests also. Sure. And I think it just keeps you mm-hmm. immersed, right, in, in really good writing. Now, you're not limited to just the English language as far as what you can read and write. Is that, is that right? Yeah, it's true. I, I, I speak Romanian, Russian, Spanish, and uh, I'm self-taught in Hebrew. Oh, ah, okay. Wow. Uh, it's a, that's a lot of varied <laughs> languages. And, so, and I think yeah. that's what comes out in the book is, is your, your uh, love of language. And I think that it was really great to sort of intersperse a lot of your, um, your background in, uh, with, with uh, the Peace Corps. Is it, is it the Peace Corps? Yep. Yes, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I'm like, my mind is mush at this point in the season. Uh, with the Peace Corps <laughs> and like just in actually living uh, in, uh, in your Russia. So t- give us a little insight into what that was like and what kind of perspective you gained and that, how that might actually have impacted you on the basketball court and coaching. Well, Moldova is probably out of all the former Soviet republics, um, it's a basketball black hole. Um, <clears throat> um, there's not a lot of basketball being talked about or played. 
um, you know, some of the former republics have this rich tradition. I'm thinking like Lithuania or Georgia or Latvia and Russia itself. But, um, you know, Moldova didn't have much of a basketball hotbed. Um, so I missed the game tremendously. Um, and in during the, especially the 2002 uh, Lakers-Kings game, I was listening to that um, through radio and watching on the internet. And, of course, um, near the end of the game where Ori hit the shot, uh, the radio stopped working and the internet was, oh, it was buffering. So I, <laughs> it, took, it took me like 30 minutes to find out the results of that game. Um, but that was kind of like my life there for, you know, for two years. It's like, I didn't really get to watch a lot of basketball. So then when I came back to America in 2003, there was this guy called LeBron that everybody was talking about. And, um, so I kind of missed, you know, his, his ascension. Um, but when, you know, we got to the league, obviously I caught up, but, um, yeah, so I missed a couple of years of basketball. Well, you know, let's let's actually talk about the book because people people might be wondering like, well, what is this whole book about, and why are you here? Uh, and so, yep. tell me what the okay. So the bottom first of all overview as the coach, you, how many you've won? How many uh, city titles in New York at your at your? Uh, okay, yeah, I've I've won three city titles, one state title, mm -hmm. um, and uh, closing in on three hundred wins at this point. Wow, and 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 now is was was this a program you had to start from scratch, or was there some history at Fannie Lou before you took over? Uh, no, it was, it was the opposite. It, we were the team was zero and eighteen um, prior to to make <clears throat> becoming head coach, and um, and so we uh, didn't have a, a very good reputation as a as a school that did well, and that's uh, obviously changed in the last thirteen years. For sure, so, so, and so mm -hmm. yeah, at this book is sort of recounting the success you had in winning the state. Uh, I'm sorry. Actually, it, 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 I'm going to have to redo this because now I'm forgetting. This one is the state uh, championship too, right, at the end? Yes, at the end, yeah. All right. You know, so, yeah, it's a little bit, you know, it's a oh, narrative yes. of a basketball season. And it just, it gener you know, and so as basketball books go, you know, there's a, a preseason, a season, and a postseason. Um, but then there's also – it's things that happen during the season that, you know, I think most coaches and most players can kind of relate to, but then there's also this idea of like, well, what's teaching like in, in coaching. Um, and then there's all these other things that just happen around the city or happen within our lives that we have to deal with. For sure. And so give us a little glimpse into that. So, you know, what's the kind of makeup of the team? What are the kind of players you're dealing with? What's the, you know, socioeconomic background of the school and, and in the Bronx itself? And how did that, in, in, you know, inf inflect on the, the playing that you, and the coaching you had to do? Yeah, so my high school is located in the poorest urban congressional district in America. So, um, and so our social, socioeconomic background, um, you know, it, kids don't have a whole lot and but what what i've discovered coaching them is that their desire to get better and their desire to um just be coachable is is a tremendous gift and so i've been blessed with a, a guys uh you know and no i've never had any division one players you know <clears throat> i have a few division three players over the years but it's just a lot of hard working you know blue collar guys that just kind of love the game come to practice and you know bust their ass for sure. So, so Division Three seems to be like yeah, we're at the level that some of the guys will go on to. And then as far as the level, tell me, break it down for me how New York works as far as size of school and who you end up playing mm -hmm. in the playoffs and that kind of thing. 
Yeah, absolutely. So years ago, you know, years ago, um, a small schools movement was created in New York. And what that did is uh, created three different levels in terms of sports. So the largest schools play in what we call the double A, the middle sized schools play in the A division and the small schools play in the, the B division. And so uh, my school is about 500 students. So we're in, the, we, we classify for the B division and that's, there's about 120 uh, schools in our, our classification just in the city. And so that, opens up for the playoffs. Um, anyone with over a 500 record qualifies. So it opened, you know, usually come March, you have about 55 to 60 teams competing just for the city title. And that's just, you know, it's equivalent to the NCAA tournament. You mm-hmm. have you know, schools from far Rockaway to um, co-op city. Okay. And so um, mm-hmm. yep. putting together this team, uh, and you said that like you were fortunate to have guys who were, uh, willing to work hard and, and, and sounds like just, you know, ideal players who want to play for you. Uh, do you think that that was by design, like by, by the way you run the program, by the way you uh, have tryouts and the way you pick players that you're not, you're not going to take somebody who, you know, you sense early on might be an issue who might not be coachable. Yeah. I, you can sniff that stuff out pretty early, but you know, it's it, what's happened over the years is that the, the guys kind of dictate what's a good shot, what's a bad shot. Um, and if a guy's not kind of pulling his weight or if he's maybe missing practice or, um, not attending classes, you know, the team kind of takes care of that over the years. And, um, I think that's kind of what we established early on is that these are things that we need. Um, so it it avoids uh, distractions because distractions, you know, can shipwreck a team pretty quickly. For sure. So it's safe to say that you're not out there like recruiting players from other schools and other neighborhoods to come play for you. No, no, I, I'm probably the worst recruiter in New York City, uh, and maybe, and maybe the land. Um, I just it's it's hard for me to sell <clears throat> um, selfishness and and winning basketball. I, I think um, you know an eighth grader or a ninth grader probably wants to hear that uh, he's going to the NBA and. Um, I'm not really going to tell anyone that. <laughs> so I'm not in a position to. You know, it's never a good idea to let your emotions get the best of you while you're coaching. And it's certainly not a good idea when you're trying to decide what to wear out in public. I know I'm constantly trying to find clothes that are really comfortable, but are also really stylish to wear out as well. And at Roan, I finally found the one place for premium activewear that is engineered for unparalleled quality and comfort. Slip on their Spar crew neck, and you'll know exactly what I mean. It's ridiculously soft and has stretch to it, making it seem like it was designed exactly for you. Do you consider yourself a modern man? Well, Roan has something for you for every occasion. Their selection of premium shorts, shirts, tank tops, socks, and swimwear has you literally covered for every situation, and they're perfect for the office or the gym. And now, Roan has just released their amazing new commuter collection, perfect for looking great and staying comfortable at the office. There's no question the style is familiar but unique, as it rides the line between absolute comfort and the need to look appropriate in an office setting. I'm a sucker for pullovers, and their Sequoia quarter zip is awesome because you can have a nice collared shirt underneath it to get the perfect mix of business and casual. And that goes for everything in the commuter collection, from pants polos, shorts, and shirts that are all lightweight, comfortable, and wrinkle-free. 
Go to Roan.com slash breakdown today and use promo code breakdown to get 20% off your first purchase. That's R-H-O-N-E.com slash breakdown, promo code breakdown for 20% off. Roan.com slash breakdown, promo code breakdown. Now, what was the genesis <clears throat> of the book itself? What, what made you decide to write it? Uh, and, and, you know, in theory, you were writing it during a season that you ended up winning a state championship. You, didn't, you couldn't possibly have known that, I suppose, before you started writing. So how did that all happen and come about? And it, was, it was definitely serendipity. We were able to <clears throat> um, convince Doubleday to let me write this. And, it, you know, my agent and I kind of worked together on a proposal. And I had some momentum. There was a New York Times article that came out in 2016 about my team um, and the school and the program. And so we used that article as bait and we were able to, you know, sell the idea that, you know, I could write a story about the team from a coach's perspective. Because most of the time, uh, basketball books are written by, I mean, you, you mentioned uh, some authors before, and those authors are journalists or they stop in for a year or maybe six months. They watch the team, they leave. You know, this is something, this is my day job. And um, so it's a little it's a little different and definitely a different perspective. And, and that's what I was trying to create a book um, that has been written before. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And again, because a lot of times you just find coaches who, you know, whether or not they master the X's and O's, they certainly don't, they haven't mastered English, the English language <laughs> and, <laughs> and, you know, and writing. And so right. that's what's so, I mean, as soon as I picked it up and started reading, I was like, well, I, I was not prepared. And I've known you for a while. And I have read, you've mm -hmm. actually written, uh, you've written at least, I think, one article for bballbreakdown.com, I think, right? I did, yeah. Mm -hmm. At some point back in the day, and I, and I now I'm remembering, mm -hmm. like, yes, that was also sort of well written in in a, in a level that doesn't normally you know appear in, in that uh, setting in that genre. So, um, how hard was the sell? I mean, you put together this proposal, you went to, to uh, the, the publisher, and you know, did it, did they say yes right away? They did. I think they lo they loved the idea of the story, and, and because of the originality, um, and you know, the potential readership. You know, this is. <clears throat> You know, as you read, it's not just a basketball book. Uh, I think this is a book that teachers, um, anyone actually kind of interested in, in America actually might enjoy. Um, so that's kind of, you know, that's our audience at this point. Obviously, basketball junkies will dig it. Um, but it's also something that I think, you know, you know, moms and uh, uh, former players would, would also enjoy. For sure. For sure. Now, it's a little bit hard in the glimpses that we get of practice and the coaching, it's a little bit hard to get a sense of exactly what kind of coach you are as far as your communication style. So let, let's fill it in for me, you know, because I'm curious. I haven't been to one of your practices, and I'll, I'll have to change that next time I'm in New York. But uh, mm -hmm. I, what are you like? Are you are you a yeller? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, over the years, um, not as uh, I would say vocal as I as I have been. So I think I've definitely become less vocal um and what i've discovered is you know if you lower your voice they listen more and uh, especially over the course of the season um that you know the more you yell the less they listen come february and march and that's when you need their attention the most um and so i think uh, in my first couple of years i would definitely thought that yelling was the best way to communicate and uh, i've discovered um especially during the championship games like you can't really yell at a kid. You want him to be performing his best. Um, and they're going to make mistakes because everybody's nervous. Um, 
And so the best way to do it is come March is to be able to just communicate. And, and sometimes it doesn't need to be verbal. You know, we, we communicate a whole different ways. Um, <clears throat> so, um, but definitely during practice, David. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, I, I was just wondering if you happen to have seen the, the tweet that I had sent out during March Madness about Tom Izzo. Oh, I don't think there's a person in America who didn't see it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I keep hearing about it from other coaches when I, as I'm walking around different gyms. And, uh, you know, it's mm-hmm. what you said that, that resonated with me on that. And, you know, and like Mike Dunlap, who's over at LMU, had said something when I was watching a practice of his, where he said something like, uh, you know, if you, if you speak really loudly, they back up. But if you speak softly, they lean in. And Correct. I really like that idea. It's sort of it's basically what you just said. And... But mm-hmm. I think the other thing is, and this is an interesting conversation we can have almost, that's tangential to the book, but um, you know, you're in a, a knockout situation like the tournament or like playing in the, in the, uh, you know, the high school uh, playoffs, you know, one and done. And I, I, you see somebody like Tom Izzo who just detonates on a, on a freshman, and the freshman clearly is confused, doesn't know why this is happening. It really screwed him up for several minutes afterwards. Um, so I guess what I ask now when I meet a lot of coaches and we talk about it, I say, you know, what is the goal of a coach during the game? What is the real goal there? What would your answer be? You know, obviously the kid messed up or, or <clears throat> but again, from, from a coach's vantage point, I, I don't know what, you know, transpired three days in practice. You know, I think there's a whole history behind there, but the goal is lost as soon as you yell at the kid, right? So, um, because obviously you want to win the game, you want him to do his best on the next possession, um, so that all gets you know thrown thrown away. And I think um, you know what I, what I what I caught out of the whole Izzo situation is uh, he defended himself, and I thought it would have been fabulous. He said, "You know something? You're right. Next time it happens, I probably." Should should do something differently. And that's where I think, you know, there are coaches who yell and the coaches who regret yelling. Um, so I think that becomes like two different types of coaches too. They're those that can recognize that they actually made a mistake. They probably shouldn't yell at the kid. Um, then there's the, those that'll, you know, yell at the kid for the same mistake the next game. Did you happen to see what his response was when they asked him about it? I did. Yeah. And he, he was, he just kind of, you know, dug in his heels a little bit, I think. I mean, yeah, he was sarcastic. He was, right. you know, dripping with that. I mean, it was, you know, you know, I almost don't, I can't blame him. It's, you know, we're of the same age. We all, we learned that how to coach that way. I mean, that, the reason why I feel so strongly about it, I think, is that I, I was coached that way and, and I was that coach. I wasn't quite Bobby mm-hmm. Knight screaming, yelling angry like that, but I certainly would yell and, and use, um, you know, that kind of communication. And I think that uh, what we ultimately found out, and I think what science has been telling us in the video I did about it, was that, yeah, the goal, to me, the goal of a, of a coach should be to get his players to play as well as they possibly can. It's not necessarily even to win, you know. I, I almost, mm-hmm. what, what do you think about this? If, if you make it about the results and you make it about we have to win, I feel like that actually gets you out of the moment and might actually not be the right mindset you have for, you know, to absolutely, to actually get the best out of your players. What do you think about that? Well, it just it's bad taste in your mouth. Like that, if, well, whatever the result is, right? If you win and you scream to everybody, I, there's still, there's, there's trauma. 
that, that yeah. happened. And the wind doesn't heal it. Um, and then I think you have the inverse. If, um, you know, if you lose and I don't know, there's, there's still trauma there and it just maybe just becomes, uh, you know, it's just, you aggregate the trauma. And I think what ended up happening is you just end up with a damaged team at the end of the season. And I, I um, and there's ways to correct that. And I think, the, um, it doesn't look like a lot of coaches are, and that's fine. And I understand there's a, you know, you want to be tough and you have this, the, you know, toxic masculinity, just this, you know, pervasive in our society. And I think that a lot of people want to, you know, are afraid to move away from that. And that that's, you know, we have, we have years to, to move on. But, sure. And, and I kind um, of yeah, feel yeah, like, sorry, mm-hmm. oh yeah, sorry. I, I, I kind of feel like it's a New York thing too. I mean, I, I grew up in Chicago and there is a bit of a chip on our shoulder there too. And I live in LA now, mm-hmm. which I think is different, but like, you know, I, I went to see somebody coach uh, in New York and uh, the way he communicated was so gruff. And so, um, I mean, I guess it's not disrespectful if that's how everybody talks to each other, right? Like it doesn't have that same res- that, that, uh, impact. But to me, I'm watching it. I, I thought like this is no way to to coach, and um, this person is you know very respected and, and does really well. And so I, I wonder, do you feel like it is a distinctly New York uh, or maybe East Coast kind of thing? Well, I mean, I, I played basketball in New Hampshire, and my coach was <clears throat> pretty demanding, a screamer, a yeller, um, and we didn't have a good relationship till years after. Um, but, and I don't, and so we, we were, we grew up thinking that was the only way to coach. I mean, like a lot of people, um, but in New York, I see different styles and, you know, and a lot of my good friends are actually the coaches that actually don't yell and I, and they watch how much fun they have on, on the sideline, um, versus the guys who are super intense. Um, you know, and I think you can, there's multiple ways to coach. But I, you know, I do prefer this new idea that you know you don't have to yell and scream. That you can get your players to, um, you know, perform better. And and I'm guilty of yelling. I mean, I don't want to make sure that people don't. <laughs> I'm, I'm not up here. I'm not a saint. So. And you don't have to be a saint to wear well-made workout clothes that fit perfectly and last a long time. And that's what you get with no bull. I'm wearing their men's long-sleeve tee right now, and I almost never take it off. It's snug, and the super-absorbent fibers keep me fresh. Plus, I look really cool wearing it. No, 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 I'm serious. It says, no bull across the chest, and it tells people, I don't believe in excuses or BS. Their simple and functional design is grounded in performance, made with extremely durable, breathable, and abrasion-resistant material. For simple, durable, and functional training gear, Visit nobullproject.com slash breakdown. Training gear for people who work hard and don't believe in excuses. Visit nobullproject.com slash breakdown and get your gear today. That's N-O-B-U-L-L-P-R-O-J-E-C-T dot com slash breakdown. Now, let's talk a little bit about, about the team and the levels because I almost feel like if you're listening to how you're describing you know, small schools versus the double A's, I mean, does that mean that you have less talent? Does that mean that you have kids who are all un- playing under the rim, guys who don't, you know, can't put the ball through their legs behind their back in combos? Like what, what kind of skill level are we talking about? 
Yeah, I think when guys walk into high school, um, you know, they aren't the ones that were recruited because there's a, you know, a dozen uh, Catholic schools that have recruited or over recruited every every kid who can go behind his back and finish left-handed. Um, and so the what's you know I hate to say left over um, are kids that are under the radar or kids that just need maybe a little bit maybe a year or two to develop for varsity or um, <clears throat> we just haven't had a growth spurt. And that's I doubt that's the public school in general. Probably be, you know, there's a handful of uh, public schools and the double A and the larger schools that recruit heavily. You know, and they compete with the Catholic schools. But everybody else is kind of just uh, whatever walks through the doors. That's who they're going to coach. So, how big was your front line? <laughs> um, six two was my center, and maybe a guy, you know. Six one, six one, and then two five ten guards. Wow. Okay, but it sounded yeah. like at least one of your centers like was throwing dunks down all the year long. But yeah, Charles Davis said that he is a tremendous athlete, um, but not very tall. He just is, um, and uh, just just blessed with you know uh, beautiful athleticism. Mm-hmm. And so what, like, let's see, what kind of, give us a glimpse into it. I know it's hard to describe uh, with uh, just, you know, the audio, but give us a glimpse into like what kind of offense you ran and how, how you put that together that, and why that works so well to win all the go all the way to the state championship. Well, uh, well you know, I, I think ideally I'd like to play fast. I, I like to maybe take the best shot available. Um, but I feel like, <laughs> There are these are teenagers, and sometimes what they think is the best shot available is not my definition. And so, what I developed is just you know just reverse the ball once, and um, that kind of stuck with me for a few years. It's just you know if you don't have a layup and there's nobody in front of you, if you reverse that ball, obviously the defense is going to break down, um, and that just generated a lot of unselfishness. And um, and so the idea was like. We, we discovered when we won our first championship in 2013, um, you know, that we had five guys around 13 points a game. And that was just so hard for teams to beat us. <clears throat> and we were beating teams, you know, some teams would have two guys scoring 25 a game. And defensively, you kind of zero in on those guys. And you can usually stop one. If you stop both, you know, it's, their season's over. Um, for us, I thought it was very difficult for, for teams to prepare for us. And, um, and that just the ability to have five guys scoring double digits, um, everybody started taking pride in it. And so we kind of generated year after year, like which guy's going to, you know, score 12, not who's going to score 30. So um, on your team and in the book, you know, you, you go in depth mm-hmm. about a lot of your, your players. Um, who was the one player you think that actually that captured your mind and, and, and captured your imagination most and who seemed like the most interesting uh, character in the book? It's, it's probably Walfrey. I start the book off with him. Uh, Walfrey had, you know, the, he didn't have the typical high school career. He, you know, he struggled his first two years, and um, but his ability as a senior to kind of just settle in and find a role, and then to enjoy the success that he had. I, I just kind of like that as a, you know, as a way for life. I mean, sometimes we start a new job and, or, you know, or just a new position in life, um, and it's a struggle at first, and he just. He didn't give up. And I thought that was just a, it was a special moment because, it, you know, 
it's easy to give up. And and if someone and you can easily see when someone has more talent than you. Um, but he was fine with that, and uh, he just he found his role, and uh, had I thought he had like one of the best senior seasons I can imagine, just because he liked setting picks, <laughs> and he and he liked throwing out list passes, and it was just like man, like if we could all find the joy and and some little things that we do in life, then I think we'd all be a lot happier. <laughs> you can say that again. Um, mm-hmm. Now, uh, and you mentioned, you know, because we talked a little bit about like what Izzo and how he does it. And, you know, you could argue it's borderline abuse. I think what he excels in is building relationships and then repairing them after he destroys them. Uh, it's got to mm-hmm. be emotionally taxing. So I'm kind of curious, you know, it sounds like building the relationship is something that's really important to you. And I'm wondering how you are able to do that. Are there like what do you do to make that connection with your players as you're beginning the season or you know in the off season? What is it that you do that that really helps you make that connection with them? Well, I think foremost the the players want to get better. Um, and if you take the time to you know show them like just and it can be a move. It really can be as simple as. You know, when you get into the lane, just you know, look at the rim and put the ball over your head and pretend you're gonna shoot. You know, and I think there's a level of trust that happens, but again, it's not immediate. I feel like, um, and I don't need players to trust me the first week of practice. Um, they usually don't, but they, there's older guys there that do, and and I think that just kind of um, allows them to b- build a bridge towards the trust. Um, I, there's definitely nothing special I do. You know, we don't go bowling or there's no, there's no Frisbee practice or anything like that. Um, <clears throat> I wish there was something, uh, that you could do, but all you just need time. Um, and in your boat as a high school coach, you don't have a whole lot of time, you know, four years with these guys, um, which is m- more than most, but I, I think that's it. Like there's a, you know, I think team building, uh, you know, there's sometimes, you know, before practice, the, the guys will play chess or they'll, you know, play video games together. Yeah, those those are moments, but I think most teams do those. So it doesn't, that's not the, that's not the key. Um, the key is just kind of like, listen, we're, we're here and we're going to do this and um, this is how we do it. Okay. I mean, it sounds also mm-hmm. to me like, I, I know my favorite moments of coaching high school were, the individual instruction or, you know, having three kids and we're going over it moves, like you mentioned that to me. Mm-hmm. And I, and I, I suspect like as you're doing it as a coach, it's like, there's a joy to doing that and seeing the improvement and seeing them figure it out. They, they absolutely respond to that as well. So that seems like that kind of bridges a whole lot of gaps in, in a, in a short order where you can, that, that, that is the, 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 the ground zero for where you can begin the, the, uh, the, the you know, the relationship. Is that, is that fair to say? Well, absolutely. And, you know, and I mean, using your video or anyone's breakdowns, like you can, you can see the game a lot slower um, now with, you know, just so much internet and, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, so yeah, it's easy to, so, you know, did you guys watch the, you know, the B-ball breakdown clip <laughs> of the Raptors series and, and, um, and it becomes a conversation and they love basketball. So, you know, they want to talk about it, but then it leads to other conversations. So, uh, yeah, 100%. For sure. Yeah, I mean, listen, I wish that there was a channel like mine when I was in high school. Would have uh, it would have been a lot helpful. And I, I, by the way, I think what we what you mentioned there is we not only is it like you, you can go frame by frame in HD. We can finally, for the first time in you know the, it, ever, uh, really look at what people are doing uh, on the court, and then maybe adjust the way we teach. Now, 
Um, is it safe to say that you have gone away from some of the age-old fundamentals that we've had all these years because of that, or are you still sort of uh, where do you lie in that in that spectrum? Oh, I think I'm constantly questioning why I do whatever drill. Um, and I think when I became a coach uh, in uh, 2006, uh, everything was. I still feel like it was. <clears throat> you just did it. <laughs> You never questioned the mic and drill. You never questioned three on two, two on one. Um, you yeah. never questioned uh, the one two step. And as I've, uh, as I've, you know, become a coach, I, you just do you hear of new ideas, or you just watch evidence of guys like no one's shooting through a telephone booth anymore. <laughs> telephone booths don't exist, so why would you teach this? You know, and so. Um, and you, and so, yes. And when you see guys turning and you see guys hopping and you see, you know, one hand passes versus, you know, a two, you know, a jump stop and a two hand pass. Yeah. The game's changed. Um, and I think coaching has to change with it. If you approach all sports the way I do with basketball, then you must be an informed viewer ready to put some of your money down on the games. Baseball season is in full swing, and it's never been more exciting to place a wager using betonline.ag. It's a long season. There are plenty of games to choose from, and because you're in the conversation, I'm giving you an extra 50% added onto your sports betting bankroll when you go to clnsmedia.com slash bball and use code CLNS50. Best part is, the bonus will be added onto your balance within seconds. Again, support my podcast by going to clnsmedia.com slash bball and use code CLNS50. A minimum deposit of 25 bucks is required to qualify for the bonus. Please see BetOnline's general rules for additional terms and conditions regarding bonuses. I think we've, you know, I've been successful enough where I don't have a lot as much blowback as I used to about certain things. But, uh-huh. uh, you know, and I think, you know, we're finally getting younger coaches coming in. The older ones are moving along. And as I said about Izzo, yeah. you know, it's like when's the last time Izzo was at a coaching clinic just as a, as a coach and not like lecturing there? I, I wonder if there's a certain level that you people get to. You know, my wife's a doctor. She needs to continually re up, redo her uh, license, right? Like you have to go and, and take classes and learn. And they don't have that for coaches. And I wonder, um, you know, if that's that's part of the issue because everyone's going to listen to what they're saying at that level. And if they're not up on the latest things, then it's never going to – it's harder to make that, you know, that, that transition. Absolutely. <clears throat> I mean, I, I actually I went to a clinic in the middle of May. And, you know, some local schools like Baruch and um, St. Thomas Aquinas College. and uh, But Matt Kinsley from Yale, I thought he killed it um, because he just talked about how Yale over the years just has to adapt. And sometimes, um, you know, a lot of, and again, it's a lot of dribble handoffs and it's a lot of what are you doing off the ball. And I thought he just, um, he just demonstrated to all the coaches in the audience that, like, you know, even though they're at a Division One program in Ivy League, like sometimes they have to change things mid-season. <laughs> and and if you're a coach and you don't have the ability to change midway through the season, um, you're stuck. And um, and I think that's uh, it's 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 unfortunate. I, I, yeah, I agree. Now we didn't mention mm-hmm. defense that much as far as what you play. What's your overall you know defensive philosophy? 
Well, my gym's about the size of, uh, you know, everybody's, uh, you know, if you have a, if you have a shed out back, or <laughs> if you have a garage, um, yeah, my gym is as tiny as you can imagine. Um, and so we're, we're going to full court press that just kind of generates a lot of offense. Um, and it's just, just you know, the, the, the idea that you're just going to come in and you have to prepare for us against the press is <clears throat> one thing, but we know at the end of the season we're, we're going to be playing on a college court. So it all, we all, you know, we start at the half court, like the half court defense is the most important thing that we work on. Um, and because our size is not usually, we're not the biggest teams. I mean, we had to go through three, six, nine guys to get to the championship this year. Um, we have to play a lot of zone <clears throat> and we have to be able to, um, you know, rebound defensively well too. And zones allow us to do that. But, it, um, you know, come the last three games of the season, we're usually playing man to man and it's in our half court. So, so does that make sense? So we'll start off. I mean, I know some coaches reverse it and they play man and then to zone, but we end up playing a lot of zone early in the season uh, and then finish man to man. Cause I think it takes a while to teach man to man correctly too. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't play zone, so I couldn't tell you. <laughs> but uh, right, sure, sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, that's not true. I do the amoeba, but that's that's the only one I run, which is hyper aggressive because I, I like aggressive. I don't mm-hmm. like you know playing zone. Now that said, there have been moments I've in in my basketball career, coaching wise, where we have <clears> gone to two three, and we've won mm-hmm. games, and I've almost felt embarrassed. I shouldn't have been felt embarrassed, but I felt embarrassed for winning games by running a two three zone. That you know, when you do teach it right, you, you know, it isn't easy to score on. <laughs> you know. Um, mm-hmm. I, so I feel like I shouldn't be such a, uh, a snob about that and, and maybe give, um, Jim Beheim a break, uh, for running it hundred percent of the time. But, um, but <laughs> you know, I think that's, what's cool. I think it's, there's, there's, there's a thousand ways to do things and they're all, le- you know, legitimate. And so I feel like, no, you, of course. Yeah. Now let me ask you this. So yeah. 2016, 17 in the book is centered around that, on, on that season. And we've already had 17, 18, 18, 19. We had two seasons since then. How have your teams done since the book uh, finished or came out in that season? Well, 18, we won the city championship. <clears throat> and then this year, we lost in the city championship. So our success has continued. Okay. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, any, anything of note from the players who uh, were on that team that won the, the state title, uh, that they've gone on to do anything interesting? Well, every, you know, everybody's in college um, and, you know, they're in their freshman or they're finishing up their sophomore years at this point. So, um, and Charles is, is playing. He's the only one so far. Um, and uh, he actually had a season engine, uh, in, ending injury, uh, but he'll be back next year. So we're looking forward to that. Okay, that's good. Uh, mm-hmm. How mm-hmm. how rare is it or how common is it for, uh, you know, regular kids who aren't on the teams to go to college from Fannie Lou Hamer? Uh, we have a hundred percent college acceptance rate. So, and, and yeah, and most of, if not all of them, are you know first generation uh, college attendees. So it's a you know we have a, a brilliant uh, college career center here that allows you know students to just you know kind of not only get into college but find ways to pay for college. You know, for the last last year's graduating class had over two million dollars in, in scholarships. So it's, um, you know, we have, uh, <clears throat> and again, I, I don't know how they do it, but they're just, you know, they're very aggressive and they you know, get kids to, to write that scholarship paper or, or they, you know, 
we have a good track record with a lot of local schools and um, you know state schools throughout the um, throughout New York. Well, you know, I, I was thinking it's funny when we when we met up uh, in New York in February, I believe you you brought me the book. Uh, when that's when it came out, like earlier this year, correct? Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yep, correct. And, and what has the response yeah. been so far? Well, I think it's been hundred percent positive. I mean, <clears throat> not just from um, my you know the the staff and my the, my former players who read it um, and friends and family, but you know just total strangers, um, just kind of just. Um, getting emails or, or letters from people who read the book and or found me on Twitter, uh, they've totally loved it. And I think that's uh, it says a lot. And it, it comes from different parts. It's not just, um, you know, guys or, or, or girls who love basketball, but just you know, people who picked it up and you know, just were kind of interested in maybe a story about, you know, a basketball team in the Bronx and discovered something else. So, um, you know, and so we're, we're pretty happy with the results. Well, and you should be. I mean, because uh, again, it's when you read this, it'd be great, like summer reading for people who are you know into basketball and want to be able to expand their minds. I mean, it, it evokes things like Bill Bradley had re- wrote a book uh, while he's played for the Knicks, and he was a Rhodes Scholar. I think he's a Rhodes Scholar. He went to Princeton, and uh, again, that same kind of level of writing. Uh, I'm looking for the one that Pat Conroy wrote about playing in the Patriot League. Um, do you remember that? You know that? What's it called? The losing season, losing season, right? Which is another one. It's yeah, a heartbreaking, right. but you know, Pat, Con- Pat Conroy is a, yeah. a fantastic writer. So again, mm-hmm. it's 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 in that in that realm of style and and um, and uh, literary value. So uh, if you're interested in trying to find a, a good book to read that that talks about basketball and other things as well, then you got to check out Pounding the Rock by Mark Skelton, and it's on where you can get it on Amazon. You can probably get it everywhere, right? Everywhere, your local bookstore. Um, if they don't have it, you know. They'll definitely order it for you. And you have is you have an audio an audible book too, right? Correct. Mm-hmm. I, that's that actually you know it's funny. My mom was a writer, and uh, she she got very upset when she found out I was listening to a lot of books rather than read on the page. And I was I don't know I was kind of <laughs> surprised. I, I, I for me it's like whatever means necessary to get to be able to <laughs> absorb the information. Right. And you know I was just kind of thinking we met in New York. When I, is my memory correct? When I, I was like, I randomly tweeted out saying, "Hey, I'm going to be at this park, and if you guys want to come down, you can come visit." And that, and you were there. You you were teaching the triangle offense, <clears throat> and we had been following each other for you know for a few years, and then you know you just you said you're going to be at this court at this time. And I was like, "Oh, I got I got to meet this guy," and uh, that's how it started. Correct. Okay, and I remember, I think one of your yeah. players was with you, right? Yes, it was. So, so yeah, that, that was I, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, a couple of players came down. And I, I was like, you know, cause again, this is uh, you were you were fighting against everybody on the <laughs> on the value of the the, the triangle. Right, right. I, I remember now. Mm-hmm. So yeah, because it was and what what was that? Was that like twenty thirteen? I yeah, I think so. Probably something like that because I, I can't. I mean, mm-hmm. I hadn't been to New York for a while, but anyway, uh, I, I mean that again, a testament to your character that you would be willing to go meet some crazy guy you met on Twitter uh, and come down and uh, and hang out. And remember, we and we connected right away. So uh, you know, it really is a, a marvel of uh, of the, the the technology and the and the, the the age we live in, right? That we can kind of that we connected. We never would have connected any other way. I don't think, right? In in, in any no, time, one, yeah, one hundred yeah, one hundred percent. I I think that's the the power of of social media and obviously you know i'm happy that became friends over the years 
For sure, for sure. And I cannot wait. Mm-hmm. You got to make sure that you have a practice and I can come and watch uh, next time I'm in New York. <clears> I want to actually witness. I want to oh, see the absolutely. gym, too. <laughs> that sounds Absolutely. <laughs> All right, great. Well, Mark, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. Again, the book is called Pounding the Rock. Make sure you find it across anywhere you can uh, and read it this summer. It's a great reading, really well written. And um, thanks for sharing it with us, Mark. Thanks, Coach. Uh, and uh, talk to you soon. You got it. And don't forget, sports fans, that B-Ball Breakdown, not a channel, we're a conversation. You in? Are you in, Mark? I'm definitely in. <laughs> <laughs>